0: Morning church. Yeah, I don't know whether I should preach or just close because it's been such an incredible service so far. Um, these teens are doing such a great job. I mean, a, a testimony about people pleasing and deception. Uh, a, a teen using Second Samuel to do the communion. That's that's not a small feat. That was impressive. I am, I am moved by that. Nice job, guys. This has been an incredible weekend. It's, it's already been mentioned that uh, we had the father-son campout on Friday. That was. I think, I think all these boys down here were there. Hey, preteens, were you at the father-son campout? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, so many dads. I mean, all the dads came and, and served their sons, and, and but you know, Clint Gannell and Matt Weir and Danny Cook and uh, you know other guys. Uh, Ryan Engel, of course, is always there. I mean, they just really laid it out and, and did a great job for these boys. They did the coolest things. They had a, a fire building contest that our own our own Donnie Lebud uh, won won a, won a prize in that and. <laughs> And if you were to go talk to the the law enforcement officials in the state of Texas, you would find that Donnie, this wasn't the first fire that Donnie's built. He, he, but, but I think there were spear making contests. There, there there was there were there were guns being fired. I mean, it was just an amazing thing. Uh, the 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 girls, not to be left out, I think we had the teen girls' night out. Well, now, Was it just the two of you there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There were more people there. Okay, fantastic. Um, best of all, though, yesterday was my anniversary to my, my marriage. She's, she's serving in the in, in the uh, in the kids' kingdom, so she's not here, but she's awesome. Um, she let me go uh, duck hunting on my anniversary, and that's. I mean, you know, you've got a mature. Awesome marriage, Um, but I mean, I was just—I was home by eleven, and then we did together stuff, and that was very cool too. But um, you know, we're going to be in in John chapter twelve. If you want to turn over there, Uh, you know, when 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 I when I try to do a sermon, um, it I I like to read the text and I study it out and I, I read about the text and I try to get as as much material as I can, and, and I, I let these ideas come into my head about what I might want to talk about, and then I try to whittle it down, right, into something that's a little succinct and to the point. And, and I just got to tell you, I, I, I've struggled to do that with this lesson. This is such an amazing text. It, it, every time I tried to say, okay, I want to talk about this, I felt like I was excluding something more important and you know it's it's it you know I'm, I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to say today. Um, but uh, but but fear not um, I will not go long. Because I've developed this rule. I call it the three guy rule. And when you preach guys fall asleep. Um, somebody's. In fact, usually somebody's asleep. Like before I even get up here, there's usually one guy asleep. A different guy. It's not as particular. I'm not going to mention any names. I know you're all waiting for me to call somebody out. I'm not going to do that. But but my rule is when the when I notice the third guy asleep, I start to close out the lesson. So no matter how far afield I get today, I've got my three guy rule in place. And it's going to be good. So we're going to start in uh, in verse uh, in verse twenty of John chapter twelve. But before we do, just want to recap a little bit uh, last week's lesson and that, that Ed did, and, and then you know Paul really extrapolated on it well on Tuesday. It was amazing this 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 uh, this teaching of the triumphal in- entry. Right, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, his final trip into Jerusalem before his crucifixion comes in. As a king riding on a donkey, fulfilling the the, uh, the prophecy in, in in Zechariah nine, and 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 Ed pointed out that you know the crowds went out to meet him, and, and it was it was as if a a great general or great king was returning from conquest, and and they were they were raising palm fronds and shouting. Hosanna, which, which means salvation, and, and it's, a, it's like an urgent, like salvation now. It's like a demand for salvation. And, and they were doing it in Jerusalem at the time of Passover, right in front of the, 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 the Jewish leaders in the Sanhedrin who had decided it was time to kill Jesus. I mean, he officially had a death warrant out for him. And they were out there proclaiming him king, openly, loudly. In, in, in front of the Romans who, who would have had an, an enhanced presence in Jerusalem at this time. And, and the Romans who were very sensitive to anybody being king right. other than Caesar. And it's as if they were out there saying, we so believe in this Jesus. We are so moved by, by the fulfillment of this prophecy that, that our faith in him is greater than our fear of the Sanhedrin. Amen. Our our faith, our belief, our hope in him is greater than our fear towards the Romans. And uh, and with that, let's just pick up in verse 20 with that sort of as a backdrop, keeping that in mind. In verse 20, it reads, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip... My servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. And the crowd spoke up. We have heard. From the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? And then Jesus told them. You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light. So that you may become children of the light. And when he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. You will see Jesus in his sort of final public address right before his crucifixion. Later in, the, the, in chapter 12, we'll get sort of this final impassioned plea from him to, to believe and obey and, and, and consider the judgment that is to come. But, but then, then it becomes very private and very different. And the story that we just read—it's almost like two stories because it starts off with this setting of Greeks wanting to meet Jesus, and there's this thing with Philip. And but then Jesus starts talking as if the Greeks aren't even there. It's like it's like it's like two different things, right? <clears throat> but you know, consider the Greeks and, and, and Philip. It says here that these these Greeks had come up uh, to worship at the festival. So these Greeks would be, you know, these probably aren't your run-of-the-mill pagan Greeks, because it says they came up to worship, yeah. right? And, and they may have been what we call proselytes, which would be full-on converts, that the men get circumcised, they all follow the, the kosher diet, they do the full law. Um, it might have been them, but it, but it was probably more likely, because they're specifically called out as Greeks, they're, they're more likely ref- what, what the Bible calls God-fearing Greeks, and these are people that uh, admired the God of Israel, admired the Torah, were, was really moved by the synagogue system. You and Little Donnie was up here doing the welcome. He was talking about this unity that we have and how admirable that is and how attractive that is. And it was the same way in Jesus's time. And so, and the, and the, the Jews were happy to allow people to worship their God. But 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 you're not a Jew, right? Just just so you know, right? You're not in this, but but you're welcome to, to worship this God. And uh, they, they come to Philip. And Philip is somebody that's easy to gloss over, but he figures prominently throughout the, the, the book of John, more so than the other gospels. We meet him in chapter one, right? He's 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 one of the he's one of two disciples directly called by Jesus in chapter one. Jesus calls Andrew who goes and gets his brother, then he calls Philip, who goes and gets Nathaniel. We'll see him again in chapter 6. Jesus tests him as he's about to feed the 5,000. Where are we going to get food for all these people? Philip doesn't have a good answer. He fails the test. You know, later in chapter 14, Jesus will be talking to his disciples about, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it's Philip that speaks up and says, well, can you show us this Father? And Jesus like, rebukes him. He's like, don't you know? There's, Philip keeps showing up. And he often shows up with Andrew. We see him with Andrew in the the beginning. We we see him. Andrew's the one that kind of bails him out in the whole uh, feeding of the 5,000. he says, it would take a year's wages to feed these people. And Andrew comes and goes, hey, we've got a couple of fish and some bread. Kind of distracts the attention, pulls the spotlight off of him. He's, He's kind of there for him, right? And here... Philip, for some strange reason that I I have no idea why, but he feels like he needs to go to Andrew before he can go to Jesus with the Greeks. I don't I don't know why, but I get this sense that Philip is a bit of a maybe a fellow that doesn't have a lot of confidence in himself. Maybe he's a bit of a bumbler. He always says the wrong thing. Um, when he when he when he approached Nathaniel in chapter one and said, "You got to come see Jesus of Nazareth," Nathaniel says can anything good come from Nazareth? And he he doesn't have a good answer. He just says, well, just come and see. Which which that is a a good answer in that it worked out well. But he didn't have a good comeback, you know. Nazareth, what about, you know, he's not a a banterer, right? He stumbles. And why is it that the Greeks came to Philip? they, They could have gone to any of the apostles. They went to Philip. Well, the first thing... Philip is a, is a Greek name, right? If you know your world history, Philip of Macedon was the father of Alexander the Great who, who put Greek culture out there. And if you, if you love Greek culture enough to name your son Philip, well, his parents may have been Greek or one of his parents may have been Greek. It, it, there's something to that, right? And, and also, if you consider where Philip was from, the Bible says that he was from Bethsaida. And if, we, if you had a map, if you were looking at a map, oh, you know, please, please, I, I have to move quickly before it starts flickering on and off. Um, you know, the Sea of Galilee, right? And to the, to the, to the west of Galilee, you've got, you've got the Jewish side of town. Right, You've got these cities that you recognize. Nazareth, where Jesus was from. It's to the west of the Galilee, to the west of the Jordan. Uh, Cana is over there. You don't see it on the map. Capernaum, these places where you see Jesus doing his ministry. But on the, on the east side, you'll see an area called the Decapolis. The Decapolis is, is uh, Greek for ten cities. There were, it, was very, it was a very Greek-influenced place. And Philip is from Bethsaida up there at the top, kind of right there in between the Jewish side of town and the Greek side of town, right? So it's very likely that he understood Greek culture better. It could be that he was steeped in Greek culture. He probably spoke or he could have spoke Greek better than the other apostles, for instance. When when Jesus asked him where we're going to get the food to feed the 5,000, he asked Philip for a reason. They were on the far shore of the Galilee, the Bible tells us. They were in Greek. They were on the Greek side of town. So it only made sense to say, "Hey, maybe you know where we can get food to feed these people, right?" So they come to and you can turn off that map if you want. Now we're done with it. I want to be clear that's not a slide. It's a map. It's a map. Um but, uh, but, but Philip goes, and he gets Andrew, and then they go, and they go to Jesus. And Jesus responds by saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And I imagine this crowd... That, that, that had been waving their palm fronds and shouting Hosanna. And he says, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And they would have remembered Daniel chapter 7. And we, we've talked about that before. We won't go into it. But it talks it's this prophecy about the Son of Man coming on the clouds, approaching God, being given sovereignty and power and judgment and, and, and an everlasting kingdom. And that's, that's glory, right? If you, the Son of Man is to be glorified. And they're thinking, yes, this is a Daniel, sub, uh, Daniel 7 moment. They probably still have their pun- yes. Yes, now is the time for the son of man to be glorified. We are ready for that. We are ready for that. And then he switches it on. He goes on to say, "I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed." He goes on to talk about loving life and and you know, loving life in this world or hating life in this world. And that that's just that's just kind of a biblical way of, of, of talking about choosing, right? Malachi says that Rebekah uh, loved Jacob but hated Esau, right? It, um, we're told to, Jesus tells us to, unless you hate your mother and father, and it's, it's not really talking about love and hate, but it's talking about choosing. Yeah. Are you going to choose? She chose one son over another. You are to choose Jesus over your mother and father. And here he says, we have to choose between life in this world or the real life that they, they don't they don't go together. It's one or the other, and he's he's being very very clear in that. And he goes on to illustrate that he himself has made a choice. He's, you know, he prays, he says, "Father, what shall I say? Let this hour pass from me." He chooses, no, it's for this very hour that I have come, and you know, he gets this thunderous voice of God to to kind of. Give a little bit of weight to what he's saying, right? He, and, and, and he goes on and he, he, ta- he talks about the prince of the world being cast out and judgment coming. But, but the crowd speaks up when he says that I, when I am lifted up, will draw all people to me. Which, by the way, is your connection to the Greeks, right? If you're wondering why these two stories go together. There's Greeks, and now Jesus says all people Will be drawn to me. It's like not just you Jews. You know, but all people are. I'm going to use this arrival of the Greeks to illustrate once again that all people are going to be drawn to me. He says, When I am lifted up, this is going to happen. And and this crowd would have known what he was talking about. Crucifixion was common. And when 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 you say I'm going to be lifted up from the earth, they understand he's talking about being crucified. Amen. And they speak up, it says in verse. Thirty-four. They say, we have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. And they're, 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 they're talking about passages like Psalm 89 or Isaiah 9 or even Daniel 7, where you know, the Messiah is a never-ending kingdom. They say, how can you possibly say that you're going to die? Who is this Son of Man? it goes right back to the same question that we keep being asked. Over and over in the book of John. Who is this Jesus? Who is this guy? You're not the son of man that we were expecting. This isn't what we had in mind when we were waving the palm fronds a few minutes ago. You can imagine them kind of be like. Right. He goes on. You know, Jesus is done discussing it. Right. He just he, he goes in and says, look, you're only going to have the light a little bit longer. You need to walk in the light unless you're going to be overtaken by the darkness. You know, I just imagine this, this crowd and they, they had so much hope. You know, they've lived their lives in oppression either to a corrupt religious system or to the, to the, to the, to the uh, oppression of Rome. And they're thinking, here comes the king and he's going to change things. And I'm with you. I am with you, Jesus. And then he starts talking about this death, this, this classic sort of discipleship stuff that we read about in all the other gospels. And this, this idea of serving and, and being humble. And, and, and I imagine him thinking, you know, this is not what we had in mind. You know, we had plans for you, Jesus. We pictured you on a throne in Jerusalem. We pictured our enemies being destroyed. We pictured our lives being filled with goodness and glory and prosperity because the King had come. We had plans for you. Yeah. But Jesus has his own plans. Amen. Right? You know, I can imagine him saying to them, you know, whose glory is it that you're interested in? Ooh, and I think we have to ask ourselves that question. You know, why are we here today? You know, we come to Jesus, quite frankly, just like the Greeks who are curious and just like the crowds who are seeking glory. We I mean, let's be honest. We we don't we didn't wake up one morning and say, I would like to make myself very, very small. I would like to become more humble. I would like to become more sacrificial. I've heard that the Jesus things all about that. I think I'm going to church. That's not why we come to Jesus. We come for different reasons. And praise God, they're all good reasons. It doesn't matter how we get here. Yeah, right? yeah. But Jesus tells us that once you get here, <laughs> and once you, once you make the, maybe in, in a worldly sense, the mistake of saying, I'm with that Jesus guy. Right? Yeah. It's like, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Because this is not for your glory that you're doing this. Right? This is not for your glory that you're doing this. Jesus even says as he prays to God, you know, first he says, the, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he goes on and says, God, glorify yourself. Even Jesus' glory is rendered to his Father. Right? Jesus himself renders his glory to his Father. And we have to decide in this hour, whether it's our first time here, or maybe you've been coming around for decades, Maybe maybe you said Jesus is Lord and you got baptized and you've you've chosen this church thing. But you're still seeking something other than his glory. Jesus says you have to choose this life or eternal life. And he makes it clear throughout the Gospels that he's going to take care of you. If you choose his life, if you seek first his kingdom, all things will be added to you. But if you seek those things instead of his kingdom you're seeking something other than his glory. Right? And we've got to make this, we've got to get this on straight because in our discipleship, we will be tested. Just like these guys are waving their palm fronds and saying, I'm with Jesus. Jesus is king. And then he turns to them and says, check this out. I'm going to go be on the cross and where my servant, where I am, my servant must be also. They test, they test their faith and they bucked against it. We will be tested. Maybe early, maybe late. But there will come a time when these things that we have sought after for our glory will be taken away from us. The job will fail. The, the investments will fail. Our health will fail. Our loved ones will get sick and be taken away from us. And then we have to ask ourselves, whose glory have I come for wow. in this hour? This is the essence of discipleship. I mean, we, we, we have this, we, we, we cling to these passages where Jesus talks about life to the full and, you know, and, and by all means, he's true. He means that, but, but we look at it as a, as a self-improvement kind of thing, right? I'm going to go get some Jesus and get better. Jesus is not here to improve your life. He, it's like you hire a contractor to, to get a little bit of home improvements done. He comes in and he says, yeah, I think I'm just going to tear the whole thing down. <laughs> Build a new. I mean, I'm not even going to leave the foundation. You're like, oh, well, this is not what I had in mind. Well you said you wanted a better house. In fact, let's just scrap the house all together. This is what Jesus is calling us to. This is the glory. This is the glory of God that Jesus is calling us to. We, have to. we have to seek to be that kind of person because that's the choice that Jesus gives us. He will take care of us. He will give us. Look around. We're all blessed. We've got wonderful lives, great kids. We're, we're, we're caring for one another. But that's not, that's just, a, that's just the rays of the sun. It's not the sun itself. Jesus is the glory. It's his glory that we are seeking. We will be tested. And Jesus gives us, I feel like, some really good advice at the very end. If we're going to walk this disciple road, right? right. This is this idea of living for something other than ourselves, choosing true life over our 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 perception of what a good life is he says if you're going to do this you got to you got to walk in the light and you know it's interesting in that last towards the end he says you will become children of light you're not going to become a child of light we are going to be children of light. And we either are children of light or we're not children of light. But it's not a concept of, okay, you're a child of light and you're not. No, we are either children of light or we are not. Right? That's it's the only way we're going to to to, to stay with this path, to stay in God's glory, is if we are children of light. And and Jesus' words in chapter twelve are a little mysterious because he does that sometimes. But the author John helps us out by later writing a letter called 1 John. If you want to turn over there, I'd like, to, I'd like to hit on this a little bit. In First John, chapter one, there's just this incredible, incredible exposition about light and darkness. Light, excuse me, light and darkness. And it says in, in verse five, it says, "This is the message we have heard from him." And declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness Amen. at all. It's not that there's only a little bit of darkness. It's not that there's more light than dark. There's no darkness. And it's, it's back to this idea of choosing, right? We either choose God's glory or we choose our glory. There's no mixing. We either choose eternal life or we choose to prop up the life in this world. There's no mixing. And John's saying there's there's no darkness in light in in God. There's no darkness in God. If you're going to be with God, you cannot be in the darkness. And he goes on to say, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not tell the truth. Or do not live out the truth. Excuse me. But if we walk in the light. This is such a powerful sentence. It says, if we walk in the light. As he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of jesus son purifies us from all sin there's these three important components to that sentence that that go together if we're in the light we have fellowship and we are purified there's this there's this idea of oneness we have to be in this together we are in the light or we are not in the light and he goes on and says If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we are going to seek the eternal life of Jesus, we have to be children, not childs, children of life, of light in fellowship with one another. And, you know, I just, I, I, uh, I feel like this is. This is such a this is a deal breaker for discipleship that I sometimes overlook the, the gravity of. You know, I, I you know I, I'll see from time to time, and, and you see it too. I see somebody come to Jesus, come to the festival, right? And uh, for whatever reason, it doesn't matter. And they're, and they're taken by this Jesus. And they're taken by this teaching. And they're taken by this idea of discipleship. And they say, I want to be with the king. I want, let me raise my palm from him. And, and, and they, they repent. And they get baptized. And they become disciples. And it's glorious. It's, it's a great thing. And they're here. And they're fired up. And they're participating in the fellowship. Until one day they're not. And... And there's little doubt in my mind that that what has probably happened is that, you know, we have to choose day in and day out. We have to choose who we're going to glorify, who we're going to gratify. It's not a one-time choice. And and, and we all fall short, right? And, And, you know, one day you fall short. And the prince of this world that Jesus talks about in John chapter 12, he's right there, ready. He's pouncing on this moment and he says, he starts talking. It's not the thunderous voice of God we're listening to anymore. We're listening to that sneaky little voice. And he says, see, I told you. I told you you were not cut out for this. I told you you're not an eternal life person. These Christians... (laughs) If they only knew who you were, they would have nothing to do with you and above all, Christian, you can't tell anybody what you just did because you know that'll be it for you. you'll finally be exposed and and we we listen to that voice, and it drives us into further isolation, and the further isolation drives us into more sin and more shame and more guilt because i It's not the sin that draws us away. It's the guilt that draws us away. And we get consumed with it in the dark. And we stay in the dark. And the darkness overtakes us. We have to be a fellowship. We have to be children of the light. All of us. We need to have the courage to get open. And we have to be fostering a a fellowship that, that... that invites openness. That rewards openness. That 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 encourages in a in a in a in a visceral way openness. We have to be real. Just like Lindsay was talking about, it's so easy to get into the people pleasing and the and the lying and the deceit. That's not just for teenagers. You know, you know that's how we are. We have to be children of the light, or we cannot choose eternal life over. Our fake life you know i'd just like to i've got i 've got two guys sleeping um, so i 'm going to get ahead of that um, I want to close out I want to close out talking about Philip a little bit. I want to get back to the beginning with Philip you know we you know, we we 've already talked about Philip throughout the the gospel of john he 's unsure of himself, he kind of needs to be propped up by andrew he 's He's bumbling. He's, he, he makes mistakes. He, he doesn't seem to have the answers. You know, I, I love to consider what happened to him after the Bible, and we, and we don't we don't know what a lot of what happened with a lot of the apostles. We have we have history and traditions, and with Philip, it's particularly difficult to, to follow because historians will get him mixed up with the character in Acts who's also named Philip, and sometimes it's hard to tell which one they're talking about. But a, but a reasonably good. Uh, incredible account of, of Philip is that he ended up in Aeropolis which is in Egypt and he's down there with uh, Bartholomew who who is a.k.a. Nathaniel you, know, you won't see Bartholomew and Nathaniel mentioned together because scholars believe they're the same person but he's down there with his original buddy from chapter 1, Nathaniel and they're, they're, they're carrying out the great commission right? they're doing the work and as so often happens with apostles, they get in trouble. And, and as the story goes, they end up being crucified together. And they're, they're hanging there on the cross, dying. And, and not Nathaniel, not the quick-witted Nathaniel, rather the Philip. Yeah. The bumbling Philip starts preaching. Hey, Philip? Philip has the courage to preach. He didn't didn't even have the courage to take the Greeks to see Jesus. He's preaching. And it says that his preaching is so impactful that the crowd that crucified him gets convicted and decides, we need to take these guys down off the cross. Philip, could it be that Philip finally figured out that it's not about him? Anymore. It's not about his answers. It's not about his ideas. It's certainly not about his glory. It's about God's glory. And he he starts preaching. And the light shines through him and and he starts to bear much fruit from the cross. And it says that they come and they take Nathanael down. But they go to Philip and he refuses. It's, Don't take me down. You leave me up here. And in my mind, I, I like to imagine. I have to imagine he's thinking, I'm, I'm where Jesus was. The servant will be where his master is. Take me down? I'm in my prime up here on this cross. And it says that he died. He died. And in my imagination, I, I insist on believing that his final thoughts were... Memories of Jesus saying, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The hour has come. The hour has come for us. For us to choose eternal life over some phantom life that's passing away. To be children of light. To live in true fellowship with one another. Seeking the glory of the Son of Man and His Father above all other things. To God be the glory. Amen. Amen. And one final song.